Welcome to the Marshall Proof Podcast. In your week in IndyCar listener Q&A, <laughs> why don't we start off by what's uh, sadly becoming almost uh, a weekly habit. Hey, it's Thursday night. It is 9.44 p.m. I am sitting in my hotel room in Portlandia. Uh, quite a nice little hotel, by the way. Not super expensive, but uh, overlooking a little river here. Um, I am so far behind on getting this show done, and I don't know what to say. I want to believe that I'll be back on track next week, but who knows? Maybe it'll take finishing the IndyCar season for me to truly get my thumb out and get uh, back on this normal Monday or Tuesday timeline. So let's just skip ahead, do as we always do, and say a huge thanks to you. Big, big thanks for all the questions you've sent in and always send in to power the show. I really do appreciate the fact that this is just a collaborative thing we do each week. A huge thank you as well to our friend Jerry Suddeth, who puts together the questions for me. And he says we have about 2,500 words worth of questions, uh, about 45 in total that came in. So we won't get to all of them, but we will get to as many as possible. And if you hear the sound of snoring during the show, it means that I just kind of fell asleep. So I'm going to try not to do that. But yeah, been running ragged uh, this week, all for great reasons. So no complaints, no anything bad or negative. Just it's actually been a really good week. A lot of super positive things have happened for my wife and I. Some of y'all know we've been trying to get in to see a specialist uh, to deal with some side effects from chemo for a while now and had someone uh, cancel and opened up a slot late Monday afternoon. So left Laguna Seca, was down there for the last IndyCar test of the season and blasted out of there, got home a good old long, long visit with this uh, doctor, the specialist that we met, and we just left there buzzing, just on a real high. So really happy with that. Found another service provider for us for uh, one of the standing appointments that my wife uh, does in relation to defeating cancer. And we were there at the former place on Wednesday, long drive up to Oakland. uh, And yeah, poop the bed there. We just said that's enough bed pooping. And so on the drive home, amid uh, her frustration, uh, she happened to do some yelping and found a better option. And uh, she went there today for the first time and said it was truly fantastic. So just really really, really, and truly, uh, because so many of you are so kind and ask on such a regular basis. Just want to give you a little update and say, "Ah, really, really awesome progress on the home front. Uh, Last quick item for you. Say a big thanks to Cooper Tires. Fine folks who power the road to Indy have been with us on the show here for about five years My old, old friends at the Justice Brothers who make automotive chemicals and lubricants, very, very heavy 
into the dealership world, automotive dealership world, but also motor racing world. That's where I got to know them uh, and have had a great long relationship with the Justice family. So big thanks to them for supporting this show now for four years, about to go on to five. And then our pals who've been here since almost the beginning, TorontoMotorsports.com, purveyors of extra quality motor racing memorabilia. So please do check out... Uh, all three of our show partners, Cooper Tires, Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. With all that said, a uh, little bit of a music bed here for you, and we're going to get rocking here. First question goes to our pal Steve Sell. Says, MP, looking forward to Portland. So I'm packing my blue and pink smoke bombs in support of Alex Rossi. I plan to set them off at the start of the GP. Am I okay doing this? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um... If a protest is often regarded as something done to correct something that is negative, and it is a protest, uh, would you be doing an anti-test to celebrate something positive? I don't know. It feels like uh, we, as humans, might have gotten that a little bit backwards. Uh, the bad thing, that's an anti-test. The good thing, protest... Anyways, uh, yes, set those suckers off. And I was wondering, where the the Renus VK orange smoke bombs at IndyCar events? I mean, come on, that's become the thing in F1, right? Everywhere you go, there's at least one Max Verstappen fan setting off a orange smoke bomb. Why don't we have at least one person at every IndyCar round doing that? problems we need to solve that but uh, yeah so i look forward to your alex rossi anti-test steve so and i wish more of you would do stuff like this because no joke uh we need it uh we we need folks to see that there are not just passionate fans who buy the merchandise and wear the t-shirts and the hats and the whatever else of their favorite driver and team but some actual in the grandstands large demonstrations of fandom no joke i would love nothing more than for that to become a thing and for whatever colored smoke bombs to be set off to support your favorite driver uh we're gonna go to casey kirkstra says continued best you and your wife thanks case says you touched on this briefly last week got me thinking we have to assume a lot of the championship contenders will qualify towards the sharp end of the grid given the history of the first lap of the track uh, as recently as last year, is this set to be the most anticipated lap one, turn one at Portland ever? I don't know about ever, but it sure feels like, uh, everything you mentioned is everything that I'm, I, and I think those other drivers are worrying about, or at least keeping in the back of their minds of, uh, being all the way on the inside, being somewhere in the middle those feel like dangerous places. Would somebody who's on the front row, uh, outside of the front row, just kind of veer left when they get to turn one and let whatever happen happen and then uh, pick up behind them and, you know, slot into 10th or 12th or whatever? I mean, I don't think so. That would be a little bit odd. But yeah, I'm with you here, Case, for sure. It's one thing, like last year... We'd had this boiled down to three-ish drivers or so. Really, it was Pato, Pelot, 
uh, in New Garden. New Garden was a little bit remote, but, you know, we, it was down to not many. I mean, honestly, it was pretty much a Pato versus Polo thing by then. So, numerically, a big kablamo uh, lap one, turn one, or just on restarts in general going into turn one here. Odds were, were pretty decent in just having the two drivers not be part of whatever mix-up. When you've legitimately got seven folks who can win the title, four who are clustered much closer together, obviously, with Power, New Garden, Dixon, sorry as I take a little uh, bit of a swallow there, and Erickson. But nonetheless, there are still folks in fifth with Pelot, sixth, obviously, uh, with McLaughlin, and seventh with Pato, where, you know, depending on what happens, yeah, uh, they could be beneficiaries. To your point, though, it's pretty rare to have any of those seven just way out of the loop in qualifying and way behind. So, uh, yeah, very strong possibility of contact altering the championship frame here on turn one, uh, on lap one. The thing maybe I just add to this to close, it could be one of those seven (laughs) screwing everything up for everybody else. It could be two or three. Right? Uh, Depending on who crowds whom, if somebody breaks too late, somebody gets hit from behind, whatever it is, it's not necessarily uh, a guarantee that it would be someone else uh, doing bad things, infringing upon these championship seven. It could be within that stack of seven uh, hurting one another. If not, who knows? Maybe they don't touch one another. Maybe they hit other people. I don't know. But yeah, with this many, just the number. Sheer number of seven, yeah. The odds, the odds are something that are going to have me watching the start of the race, kind of with my eyes covered by my hand, looking through a very small slit between my fingers, because the potential's there more than I can think of at any time in a really long time. Uh, JJ Gertler, how you doing, pal? You said, let's see if memory serves. A couple races ago, Ryan Hunter Ray got the Golden Bowling Ball Award in Portland. Um, the next year, Graham Rahal. Any early line on who starts the golden bowling ball fire <laughs> this time? Let me uh, let me just pull up the list just to, to run it in front of my eyes again to make sure I'm not forgetting anybody. Who might be the instigator? Uh, usually, as, as you mentioned, the reason I came up with the golden bowling ball award is, you know, look, uh, sometimes you have one person who does it all. Sometimes you get a bit of a ricochet thing going on. Sometimes it's a few people uh, bowling themselves into their uh, their other pins in the field. So it just feels like, boy, it'd be bizarre if it was just one person hitting one car and that was the end of the story. Could we see two or three people doing the hitting and who knows what the number is of being taken out. Again, it feels like the probability is high. Famous last words, of course, right? So having said all this, uh, none of that will happen. It'll be green from flag to flag. But if I had to pick who, and this is so, well, granted, you know, everyone's going to be busy this weekend with a podcast coming out Friday morning. So I don't think any of the drivers who might listen are going to uh, hear this, but let's see. We probably need to look to some of the folks 
We're a little bit desperate for results right now. Uh, could Elio down, Meyer down at 19th in the championship. Sato strikes me as someone who might be going hard uh, and not, yeah, not necessarily letting up when uh, you might hope that he would. After that, I don't know, it feels like folks are, are pretty well behaved. So I'm not sure if anyone jumps out to me as like, aha, that's the person. But yeah, uh, I, I just put it in the hands, JJ, of those who need it the most, need something positive to close the year the most, especially with, uh, again, Elio being buried down in 19th in the championship, Takuma in 18th uh, at the moment. Let me just look here quickly. Uh, I think this might be a historical low. Yeah, it would match. Uh, again, we'll see. Hopefully he improves, has a, a really great last two races. But if he stays where he is, it would match a career low from 2014 of 18th with A.J. Foyt. And I take that back. His very first year in IndyCar with KV Racing was actually 21st. So among the worst to date, um, yeah, coming off a run to 11th in the standings last year, 7th the year before, I'm not saying Takuma would just forget how to drive and, and make big mistakes just for the sake of it, but yeah, uh, when you get into a situation where things are definitely not happy in terms of results and output, uh, yeah, you do start thinking about, well, I only got one or two more races to fix this, and gaps that you might not have considered going for in the past magically look so enticing and friendly and absolutely without the possibility of uh, anything negative happening whatsoever. Uh, let's see. Why don't we go to... Uh, we're going to go to Mitsuki Matsura. How are you? Uh, you said last year the lack of flexibility in race control led to many innocent drivers moved to the back of the field when the lap one turn one crash happened. Given a high possibility of the first lap crash in Portland, do you expect some changes will happen to officiating by IndyCar this year? I'd hope so. As you mentioned, the lack of flexibility, the rigidity of how they dealt with uh, where they placed surviving uh, entries uh, for the restart. Yeah, um, in particular, those who needed to take avoiding action, also known as going through the chicane instead of going around the chicane, which had cars spinning and crashing and strewn all over, there was legitimate reason in place for many of those who went straight to do that. IndyCar was unbothered by that and uh, ordered that put them towards the back of the field. I don't know, Mitsuki, what the plan is going to be for this year. Uh, I do appreciate you asking it because I definitely need to ask. And I'm supposed to go sit down with Jay Fry for a catch-up um, here on coming on Friday. So I am making a note uh, about turn one lap one reordering <laughs> process thank you for that prompt brother and uh if i get an interesting answer i will pop that into a short story 
Uh, let's see. SRT Nick 12. Marshall, always cool to listen to you, Marshall. Uh, you did a podcast with the at fanatics underscore indie folks uh, at the end of the last season. You said that 2021 was so good, it would be hard to top in 2022. Is it fair to say this season has been better? Without a doubt, Nick, last year was so cool because there were unexpected things that were the drivers of its coolness. In particular, this guy, Polo, who we didn't know what to expect out of him, uh, ends up winning the title in his first year with a uh, contending team, second year overall in IndyCar. There are just a lot of other really good elements about last season. This year started off with just a, a punch to the face. Scott McLaughlin uh, thought you were going to be in a much better place by the second half of the season. No. Going to take pole and take the win at the opening race. Uh, going to do that. Texas ended up being far better than expected in terms of the raceability of the place. Move on through month of May was really amazing. Obviously, bumping was not uh, so much of a thing, but that didn't change the fact that I thought the race was really good, uh, and I think most people agreed it was really good. Before that, we had the Indy Road Course race with this crazy rain in one section of the track and people spinning and just going nuts and, right, I mean, just run through the list of, uh, boy, just a lot of pretty cool things going on. Joseph Newgarden being really strong in the beginning. Uh, get into summer and things keep going upwards from there. Um, then we have some of this crazy off-track stuff as well, obviously. I, I wouldn't say this is great, but just in terms of 2022 being more memorable than last year, oh, we're not gonna <laughs> we're not gonna forget this year, uh, ever, ever, ever. So yeah, uh, thank you, Zach Brown, Alex Pillow, Chip Ganassi, and uh, silly season that kicked off at round one. Um, oh boy, yeah, uh, and we still have two more races to go, Nick. So yeah. Um, so much more to talk about, so much more to uh, explore. Can't wait to do that for sure. Chevy, right? Wow, what a big turnaround by Chevy this year and what they've done. Uh, the Andretti team going backwards. I didn't really expect that. Um, run down the list. There's so many things compared to last year that really just uh, make me think, boy, <laughs> I don't know if 23 could be any better and hard to top. Uh, so yet again, famous, famous last words. Uh, Steve Bonek, how you doing, Steve? It's MP, I hope you and your bride are doing great. We are. You also say to tell our cats, Rosie and Rocky, hi. I will. Uh, Rosie was enjoying dining on me this morning, a.k.a. just reaching over and biting me for fun. And then slobbering on me, like, uh, boy, yeah, I got the full treatment there. Uh, and Rocky decided uh, I was an antelope or a buffalo or something and was stalking me and uh, chasing me around the house. So it's kind of fun. It's weird how uh, they seem to know when you're leaving. So anyways, uh, your question here, you said not directly IndyCar related, but what do you think is going to happen with our guy, Miles Rowe? Uh, spoke with Miles for a little while last night. Um, 
says, with the scholarship, uh, does he have enough experience to move up to IndyPro 2000? If you were to win the USF 2000 championship this weekend, Steve, this is the, the finale. They got three races to run. I would say, oh, yes. Miles has definitely demonstrated he is uh, ready to move up. And what I think is cool, his main competitors this year in USF 2000, being Michael Deerlando and his teammate Jace Denmark, both of them could win the championship, could take that advancement prize and jump up to Indy Pro 2000. And I think they would be ready as well. Uh, Dear Lando more than Jace, just because he's got a little bit more time uh, in USF 2000. But I could easily see if the funding was there for all three, the three of them, and there there's more behind them in USF 2000 who are also very promising. But uh, I could see this group uh, beating up on each other for the next couple of years on the road to Indy and then landing an Indy car. Again, assuming they all develop, uh, I mean, they're still raw, right? This is the kind of freshman year, freshman level of college that they're at. Uh, maybe a little bit of sophomore level possibly, but, you know, you hope to see their talent develop and grow and become Indy car caliber. Uh, we're having to project forward a little bit there. Can't say that that happens for every driver, but at least for what I've seen with Miles, uh, yeah, he's ready to go. I've got a couple other questions here about uh, Force Indy, Ernie Francis and such. I need to, honestly, uh, it's purely my fault. Uh, I've been meaning or needing to ring uh, Roger Penske for about a month. And even today, uh, like there's a certain time that he says is best to call him. And so I try and hit that time when we do, uh, when I don't see him in person, uh, when I do need to call. And I've just missed that time uh, every day this week and last week and et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I need to do a little bit of catching up on Force Indy, Race for Quality and Change, plans moving forward. Uh, I do know from a conversation RP uh, and I had two months ago, um, he indicated there was an absolute plan uh, to move forward with Miles, and it didn't necessarily seem to be tied to him winning the championship. But obviously, if he does win the championship, uh, that becomes a pretty easy and automatic thing with the advancement prize coming from Anderson Promotions to move up. Um, on the topic that Indy Nathan, uh, you send in about Ernie Francis and Force Indy and what's the plan for next year, uh, yet another thing that I need to get answered. I saw Rod Reed, who uh, uh, runs the Force Indy team. I saw him from about 30 feet away today very briefly. And so he is yet another person that I need to uh, catch up with and uh, find out what is happening there. I did also see when I was out trackside filming at turn one today for a little video I'll put up tomorrow. Uh, happened to be doing that waiting until the uh, track walk uh, was on the schedule to do that. And while doing that, saw my guy and our guy, Zach Veach, go flying by on the Force Indy um, pit cart uh, with Ernie in, I think, sitting in the passenger seat and then 
two of their uh, their crew members engineer types i would have to imagine uh sitting in the back uh so saw them go flying by and gave them a good wave but do need to catch up with the rod to get a bigger picture understanding of what is happening there or hopefully will be happening there for next year uh ricky zagata you say mp with ferrari not renewing mick schumacher's contract is there a chance we'll see him in indycar it'd be a big surprise if that were the case why don't i do this let me answer the next question because it and i guess the next question after that because it does tie back to yours ricky uh so the next one comes from our pal ed joris it says it seems like the herta to alpha tori uh reporting emanated in europe he says was there any smoke at all on that uh front on this side of the pond and his helmet marco even talked to colton don't have all the answers here have have heard things would not paint them as official or 100% accurate? I don't know, but I'll, I can share a couple things here. Uh, believe the same thing about this story developing out of Europe. I think Adam Cooper, it's like quadruple veteran, uh, F1, Le Mans, you name it, uh, reporter. Uh, I believe Adam was the first to post something about this. Um, I don't admittedly know which outlet or outlets he works for these days, but I seem to recall his name was attached to that. Um, so yeah, would have come out of Europe. Had not heard about that on this side. That doesn't mean others hadn't heard it. Just saying I had not. Full disclosure, last couple of weeks, I have been stuck into a lot of non-daily news type things. So I really have not started speaking to folks heavily in the IndyCar paddock uh, until about a week ago. I think last Friday is really when I started uh, catching up on a lot of things with folks. And so, yeah, uh, just not something I had heard of, Ed, but I also was not on the phones a lot to uh, pick up these kind of things uh, when this came out. Uh, I don't know if Marco has spoken with Colton. Know that obviously Colton and his dad, Brian, kind of, do these things in tandem in terms of talking to folks, seeing what they can develop, what they might make happen um, in F1 or wherever else. So I think it would be strange for interest to be expressed regarding Colton and AlphaTauri without at least one email, phone call, something taking place. So it is an assumption but I would have to assume, Ed, that conversation has come uh, the Herta's way uh, at least once. Um, Eric Franklin, you say, does Colton have an out clause for F1 rides, or is Andretti going to collect a big check if Red Bull comes calling? Don't know about what it entails, but yes, I do understand and have understood for a while that Colton does indeed have a... If someone wants to sign me to F1, I can go to F1 uh, out clause in his contract. Whether that would send a lot of money Michael Andretti's way or not, again, can't tell you. But yes, I do know that that uh, is something uh, that is included in his contract. So, with all that said, I'm going to put this into a silly season update that like so many things in my life recently was supposed to be done a while ago. <laughs> I don't know when I'm going to get it done, but I'm going to try. Um, but in there, 
will include some insight in the fact that in Michael Andretti's outreaches to drivers to take over the 29 Honda that Devlin DeFrancesco is driving and will continue to drive and complete his contract uh, next year in, before all of that had been uh, come to a head and uh, that decision was made with Devlin uh, not wanting to leave and I think Michael learning however he learned that contractually there was no the wiggle room he might have hoped he had to uh, put someone uh, more experienced uh, faster whatever in the car that wasn't an option um, there's the the underlying thing here that as I, th- I think I've said here before I feel like I've done this in the mailbag as well but Going into next year, Ricky, Colton Herta will be the most experienced driver on the team, the only one on the team to have won an IndyCar race, the only, I mean, he's just, right, the lights-out veteran within the team, and that's not necessarily a good thing. Uh, The other three drivers, at least as of this moment, zero wins, um, limited experience, so on and so forth. Colton's the one saving grace in that capacity, but one of the things Michael is known to have been looking for while reaching out to some of these bigger names, proven names, is the need to backfill what they're losing in Alexander Rossi and what they've lost with Ryan Hunter Ray, and that is Indy 500 winners, champions, folks that would play a very heavy role in the hospitality side, the B2B side, the the marketing and promotion side. Being able to put big name drivers under their employ, current drivers, Indy 500 winners, in front of their sponsors at their hospitality uh, each weekend. And so much of what they do is built around the bigger names, the, the blingy names. They're not going to have any of those next year. And I know that that has been received as a big problem which is why they spent the time didn't ultimately work out but went after getting some bigger names to try and fix that problem okay so if we have a colton herda by chance who says hey alpha tori just offered me a seat and i'm going to take it everything i just mentioned about michael being in a bad way is just becomes nuclear. <laughs> like, hey, uh, nothing against Romain, nothing against Kyle Kirkwood or Devlin. The three of them are not leading Andretti Autosport to the Holy Land, at least next year. What do you do to backfill Colton? Well, since Michael has been searching for a name, and it's not as if Colton isn't a name, I'm just saying in the absence of Colton... The, the old line about uh, making chicken poop into chicken salad, this is kind of the reverse of that. You, you got chicken salad now, you're, you're going back to kind of chicken poop. Um, going to need to find somebody. So would that be a Schumacher? Would that be a Ricardo? Would that be, I don't know. Minus a Colton Herta. Oh, I do not envy 
um, what Michael would have to wake up to every day because that would be the least competitive team they've ever fielded. And again, do I think Kirkwood is going to become a race winner and a championship threat? Yes. Do I think that's going to happen next year? No. Romain has had a brutal year. I don't exactly know why. He and I are meant to sit down for a longer interview this weekend, and that's probably going to be the number one topic. Um, and then you have Devlin, who has picked up quite a bit, and I would say definitely impressed uh, me in the second half of the season, but he's not exactly ready to go start knocking down top six finishes and you know much less podiums and wins for Michael. Uh, I don't think I think that would be too much to ask in year two. So, just saying, a lot of dominoes would have to fall, but for without a doubt, Ricky, uh, in the absence of a Colton Herta, yeah, Michael is going to need to go find a a big name and probably pay that person a lot of money. So. Uh, going to wrap with one more question here on good old Colton Herta comes from Thomas Gross say has anyone seen Colton Herta recently every once in a while I see a black and yellow number 26 car on screen but I'm not sure if that's him driving seems like been somewhat invisible outside of the Indy GP one round and Toronto say is this an engineering issue driver distracted by F1 any idea what is going on been uh been an interesting one and i don't have the full answer on this thomas um when i have asked about this and i think i've done that twice this year he's presented as more of just a situational thing you know hey had some bad luck or we as a team have been off in you know some areas and it's not like anyone else in the team has really been outshining him on more than a sporadic basis Right, I know Rossi obviously has uh, uh, finally had a, another win, and he's been showing better. But yeah, what's been strange, to your point, is Colton had been a leg up on everybody the last couple of years with an Andretti Autosport. Like that was something you could count on. So as everyone else seemed to be having very bad times, he was a bit bulletproof in that capacity. What's changed this year is he's no longer bulletproof. If anything, he's made what seems to be a number of really non-Herta-esque decisions and races, made mistakes, not focused in whatever, you know, variety of things. You you talk to a Dario Franchitti, and he'll tell you there were some years in his career where he just wasn't at his best. He wasn't at his finest. Were there any external things behind it? Maybe, you know, life always intrudes uh, in whatever you, whatever else you're doing. Um, is it possible that he's just on a little bit of a, a downward trend this year and not as effective, not as fast, not as whatever? It's possible. The team has definitely taken a step back. So combine those things. Is it abnormal for a, a you know crazy talented guy like Herta to maybe overcompensate, push a little too hard, try a little too much to overcome 
whatever shortcomings they might have with the car uh, compared to where they were that at the year before or years before when it was performing more to the way that they liked. You know, these are things that aren't totally uncommon, Thomas. So, yeah, it is strange, but the, the real question here is, will he come out of this as a better driver? Will he take all of these mistakes and oopses and off days and turn those into lessons that do indeed make him better than the good old motor racing driving part? So, yeah. Uh, let's see. Going to get down to the last couple of questions here. Uh, Andy Bauer says, MP, as light season comes to a close, how many of those drivers will make the jump up to IndyCar next year? Um, I think there's a, a better pathway for Linus to be in IndyCar uh, than I thought even just a couple days ago. I know Stingray Rob wants to make the move. I think Daniel Frost wants to make the move. Uh, Hunter McElray, I know, wants to make the move. I mean, I think there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of drivers who want, 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 want. Ready? Just about everybody this year, other than Matty Brabham and Linus. I would love to see stay for one more year. In some cases, it would confirm that they are fully ready and capable. And in others, it would confirm they are probably not destined for a career in IndyCar. So, in another year where there were more seats available, I would have more names to offer. Uh, who's truly ready? The two that I mentioned, Lundqvist and Brabham. Would I be shocked if Linus was the only one to graduate into a full-time role? No, because I just don't see a whole lot more um, that I haven't already written about or said or going uh, to to go along. Benjamin Pedersen, obviously, written about, mentioned. Uh, he's expected to take over. Uh, Kyle Kirkwood's place in the number 14 Chevy next year in a uh, in a good tie-up between Foyt and uh, his, his parents' GRG racing uh, effort there. So that's already something, again, I don't think that's kind of newish. I think that's just a, we're waiting for the season to be over. That tends to be the Foyt style. Wait till the season's over, then make the driver announcement. So, but again, written about that, that should be kind of known. The rest, yeah. Again, I can name many who I think would be awesome in IndyCar or will be awesome in IndyCar. Um, but yeah, I, I think due to the, the somewhat dire lack of opportunities, it might be a smaller number than expected. You know, think about where do you go? Ed Carpenter has a third car. Ed's doing all the ovals in it. Uh, we hope and think... Beth Peretta and Simona Di Silvestro will be doing X number of road and street courses uh, with them, plus the 500, I would hope, again. Um, but I don't, th again, unless I'm wrong, I don't know. I haven't heard anything about it being, yeah, we're going to do the entire season with Ed in that car and pick up the whatever number it ends up being, 12 uh, road and street courses. I haven't heard it being that high of a number. I want it to be and hope it will. I just haven't heard that being the case. 
So does that mean a name some of the drivers I just mentioned uh, could be able to climb into that car for half the other road and street course races? Possibly, but that's the kind of stuff we're looking at right now. Uh, Part-time in an extra car. I just don't know really of anybody uh, from Indy Lights right now who's sitting on the six, seven, eight million dollars that teams want to come and do a full season with them in much of anything. Uh, let's see. Dave Heisen, say Marshall. Seems we fans take the word fuel save with a broad brush. Say besides steering, uh, steering wheel engine settings, uh, what are some of the methods one could use? Or just tell us how Scott Dixon does it. Um, momentum. My friend, yes, this is a, a big thing in fuel saving. So let's forget uh, electronic fuel saving using the engine mapping, the ECU, and that good old proverbial button on the dash, the knob on the, on the steering wheel, I should say, to uh, adjust that. This is done by not accelerating until the point of braking. So if you think of a long straightaway, this also gets done on ovals too, uh, rather than accelerate full throttle all the way up to where you're going to brake, assuming you don't have someone who's one inch off your, uh, off your tail and about to pass you, what you will hear is drivers lifting off the throttle prematurely, meaning they don't need to slow down that soon. They could go deeper into the braking zone to maximize uh, their lap time, but they lift off the throttle early because you end up burning the most, <laughs> a crazy amount of fuel at maximum RPM, engine screaming and, and raging to drag this vehicle uh, with all that downforce on it through the air, uh, lifting off the throttle a second early, second and a half, who knows, maybe even two seconds before you get to the braking zone, uh, you end up saving a lot of fuel by being off throttle during that section. Um, that's primarily the way. Uh, if you think about road and street courses uh, in particular, there are some corners at the various tracks that are very, very fast and could have some braking involved or a lift involved to get through them. This is something where the, the real experts of fuel saving will end up carrying momentum through a corner uh, that is just fairly outrageous, but they charge into the corner, maybe go a little bit faster on corner entry than you think might be uh, sane or safe, but are then lifting off the throttle, I don't want to say 100%, but uh, partial throttle through the corner instead of being absolutely flat out uh, like some of the other drivers might be. And again, this is just a, an area where you go, look, what we need through the corner is speed. Can we achieve that by scrubbing less speed on the way into the corner? Can we maintain a higher rolling speed across the apex or a similar rolling speed across the apex? Um, 
compared to being just full throttle all the way through or, or most of the way through? How can I not be on the throttle and carry a ton of momentum through the corner? Where are the areas that I can do that? Where are the areas where I can not have to be 100% throttle to make all that speed? Um, that's also kind of a, a, a breaking, often a breaking thing too, Dave, where if you think of the corners where you go flying, like turn one at Road America comes to mind. It is not flat out in an indie car by any means. Um, there's a ton of speed carried through there, don't get me wrong, but uh, there is a scrubbing, of a shedding of speed uh, once they crest the hill, come down the hill, and head towards turn one. Before they make that right-hander into turn one, there is a slowing of the vehicle and a, a picking back up of the throttle. So let's just say that instead of braking deep into the corner, turning hard, and then mashing the throttle, what if that driver floated a little bit more speed on corner entry, didn't brake as much as a rival, so kept the speed up a bit, and rolled that speed through the corner without having to be on full throttle. That is the great thing Scott Dixon has contributed to IndyCar. And it's that exact thing. If you, if one person, I'm just making up numbers, flies up the hill, heads towards turn one in that straight line, and hits whatever the number is, uh, 190 miles an hour, goes super, super deep, brakes, brings the thing down to 150 and then smashes the throttle and picks up speed coming out of the corner and blasts down the hill. Great. What if you're a, a Dixon type who hits 190 up the hill but carries that a little bit deeper into the corner and sheds some speed, does some braking, does some lifting, but doesn't like plant the thing on the nose by stomping on the brake so hard to slow down what if he maintained a higher rolling speed entering the corner which is what you need to be competitive but you are able to stay off the throttle and have the car dance a little bit cars prefer to be on throttle in most corners just helps the suspension set uh, and whatnot um, it's his ability to shed less speed entering corners, roll a higher or a better rate of speed through while being off throttle and saving fuel by doing that. And you can see the same things happening on ovals as well, big ovals in particular, especially when he's in a pack, um, how he's able to save fuel there. But Again, the, the one caveat here is if you have someone on your gearbox, you're probably going to struggle a little bit to save fuel by lifting and maintain that position. You often see when folks are in a fuel-saving mode, they've got someone behind them who isn't, they'll just let them go. Because you're either going to wreck one another by lifting when the person is so close behind you and doesn't expect it, or it's just going to make the two of you slow. Let them go. Do your thing, and uh, hopefully your strategy pays off. But yeah, um, maintaining high-ish, higher rolling speeds through corners, um, 
by having higher entry speeds, braking less, and having phenomenal car control to keep the car pointed in the right direction while going through the corner for whatever amount of time off throttle uh, and saving fuel there as well. Uh, along with lifting towards the end of the long straights, which that is where a huge amount of fuel savings happen. Uh, James Scott, you say very nice things about my wife, Shabrell and the cats, and also a kind congratulations on picking up the new ESPN gig. It's kind of you, James. It's on test days. You say, does the AMR safety team travel to the tracks as well? Or teams rely on their own people or local staff? Um, local staff, 100%. Tim Bauman, though, uh, saw him and spoke with him for a little while on Monday at Laguna. So IndyCar will absolutely send at least one person from the uh, safety team to be there and make sure that everything's good and right. Uh, you usually get IndyCar technical director uh Kevin Blanche, a.k.a. Rocket, there as well to oversee things, or it might be uh, another series official. But yeah, there is a layer of IndyCar oversight. It's not crazy, crazy deep, though, for private test days. Um, so yeah, yeah, they rely on the track and their safety personnel. Uh, it will be an ambulance there, usually some form of a helicopter as well. And yeah, uh, this is done with flaggers from usually the local SCCA region. So you rely on the track safety infrastructure, which is what happens the day before IndyCar shows up for a test and the day after, because most uh, most road and st- I was Jesus about to say road and street tracks. Most road courses uh, are busy every day of the week with. Uh, whether it's testing sessions or track day events or whatever events where the same people uh, in the same ambulance, the same helicopter, the same flaggers, they do this stuff every day. Uh, just the people renting the track happen to be different. Uh, where do we go? Three questions remaining. I think that's a, that's a good thing. All right. Uh, what do we kick it off with? Uh, Justin Vroom, he says, as uh, Mr. Juan Montero would say, it is what it is, but uh, had Dixon not sped on his last pit stop, the Indy 500, uh, and Juan, that would have been an additional 80 points on his haul, putting him 60-plus points in the lead. Uh, Dixon could have been champion a race ago, uh, which would have been an incredible separation for a series that is so competitive. Um, You mentioned you think Dixon's year-long consistency it's one of the most under-discussed themes this season, especially compared to Newgarden's quantity of wins. Yeah, I can't can't disregard that. Um, would maybe add that Dixon has had a consistent year without a doubt. The Indy 500 is really the only outlier, right? Uh, so close to winning, led, you know, tons and tons from pole, uh, finishes 21st. That's really the only bad result that he has had. I think this is more of a, a Ganassi team thing than a Dixon thing. Consistency and something that is hailed as remarkable tends to come with more effective results. And so, 
you know, wind the clock back a year ago, year before when he won the title. Not saying he didn't have a couple of bad finishes, but his average, right? The guy was always on the podium or just barely off the podium. This has been a year for the Ganassi team where podiums have been somewhat far and few between. Obviously, Dixon's got a couple, definitely, you know, two wins, but I think maybe one or two other podiums, at least one that I can think of. Pelot's had, what, I think like three or four podiums. It's been great, but no wins. Erickson, of course, that big Indy 500 win, and I think like two other podiums, but get no other wins. No question that Dixon is sitting in third place and capable of winning the championship right now because of the quality season he has put together. I would also say the Ganassi team lost a step to Team Penske and the crazy raw speed we've seen from Power and Newgarden for most of this year. It's just been a situation where with seconds and thirds and fourths kind of being Dixon's thing on the days where he can't isn't able to win just been a surprising number of like eighths sixth ninth tenths uh, what I think he's finished eighth twice in the last three races not terrible right not terrible at all just a little bit farther out from what we're accustomed to it's it happens It's not like he has magically lost some speed. It's just the team's not as sharp as it was last year. Penske's definitely made a bigger step forward um, year on year. And all of a sudden, again, Scott's in the title frame. Super impressive. Yeah. Um, Weird seeing Dixon in the role that top Penske drivers have been in for the last couple of years where Ganassi has held just that extra tenth of a second or half of a tenth and how that manifests in turning seventh places into thirds and fourths and how those points uh, are have been the real difference makers. So I hear you, and yeah, imagine him winning the Indy 500 and what that would do is great, but just saying that while that would obviously have been a, a huge points hike, Indy 500 is one of those fluky things. You never know who's going to win. Never guarantee. I mean, that's right. Who knows? Who expected Marcus Erickson to win this uh, this year, right? I'm looking more at the majority of the other races where phew, just an, an improvement of a couple of positions, race to race, and the points those would bring. Those are the ones that I look at and go, that's why uh, he's sitting third right now instead of first. Uh, two more questions to go. James Malloy, say MP with uh, the one-year anniversary of Robin Miller's passing. I took a chance to listen to some of his works again. Uh, he said he stated a couple of times in a few different contexts uh, that eventually IndyCar could or should end up being a road and street series highlighted by the 500. Um, that's awesome. I don't know if there was a question in there or if I that got missed, but I can't see that. I would be blown away if that is what happened. If I just think about the traditions created in IndyCar, 
fathers and sons, fathers and daughters, mothers and sons, mothers and daughters, non-binary people um, of, of all kinds. Just think of every type of person and how they are introduced to motor racing. It often has a family element to it in some way, being introduced, taken to the race, taken to a whatever. The way we've been doing this, at least in IndyCar, for a long time is having ovals being, whether it was 100% back in the day, uh, to half, to now we're at about, what, 35-ish percent, whatever the exact number or percentage ends up being. Um, just saying, uh, the idea of, of having the Indy 500 as the only oval, uh, I think that would break things for quite a few people who've come up loving IndyCar through the ovals. Maybe they've come to love road and street courses as well. But yeah, uh, I can't really see that because I think uh, the folks who are in charge and own it right now and the successors in the future all know and all have uh, oval racing in their veins. So I just can't see it. Um, we're going to close here with Richard Eng. Doing Richard. I says all the best to me and the cats and my wife and just everybody. Y'all are so nice. Like, for real. You don't have to send this stuff in every week. I mean it. Like, um, you really, truly don't. Uh, but it's so sweet that so many of you do. Uh, you say, I work weekends. And uh, Monday's Laguna Seca test is going to be my only chance to see IndyCars in person. Says, I got to see the teams uh, go out and come right back in and do those laps. And then the cars got rolled into the garages right away. Said the uh, Firestone trailer... I rolled up right before I had to leave. Uh, say, so my question is, was there a funny story behind the delay? Was it a temporary hijacking? The tire truck blew a tire of its own, had a flat tire. Um, maybe it had to drive through Akron and got harassed. Who knows? I didn't really dig into the what and why because, admittedly, I didn't care. Um, genuinely stepped out, parked. Stepped out uh, the vehicle, and by chance standing right there was my friend Terry Brown, team manager of the Dale Coin Racing team. This happened to be a Dale Coin Racing test, meaning they're the ones who booked the track originally. They owned the test day, and all the other teams, you know, reached out and said, "Hey, could we join you?" And so they did. But uh, so he was the person, really, truly, kind of central to what was all going on i truly stepped out of the uh, out of our car maybe within 10 feet saw terry complimented him on his jacket and he said want to hear a funny story uh says i got i got a story for you right away I'm like oh boy yeah what's going on he said uh no tires I'm like, no tires what do you mean He's like no tires says uh so this was at about 7 a.m 6.50-ish a.m., maybe, 7 a.m.? He said, yeah, uh, driver says they're three and a half hours away. And I'm like, no way, come on. He's like, nope. Uh, the tire Firestone tire trucks with all the tire changing equipment, everything they need to do the job of uh, installing or moving tires, that's all here. They're all ready to go. The actual truck carrying the tires three and a half hours away um so yeah 
I didn't really ask why, but yeah, uh, all I can say is I hope it was for a good reason, you know, like went to a bar, met, I don't know, Axl Rose, uh, Lenny Kravitz, something like that. Like, I just hope the driver has a all time great story to tell for the rest of their life. Um, Britney Spears, uh, was chilling and, uh, they spent the night doing karaoke, you know, at a wherever, like, I just hope that's the answer. Cause if it's just like, ah, oh, yeah, forgot to set my alarm. Like it's those things that drive you insane. Um, get a good story out of it. If you're going to get yelled at, if you're going to poop the bed, at least have a good story to tell afterwards. Uh, I don't know if there was one here. So anyways, y'all, thanks for sending everything in. <sighs> Lots going on. Definitely going to be busy this weekend. Going to try and do a uh, hashtag racing family show uh, with our man Chris Wheeler here. Maybe Friday evening, I hope. I hope. I hope. Um, supposed to grab dinner, I think, with uh, Romain Groschon. Hopefully Saturday night. We'll go grab just uh, no family this weekend for him. So maybe I'll go introduce him to some Portland soul food. And then uh, I think the Greg Moore annual uh, Remembrance and Love party is going on Sunday night, uh, which I've never been able to attend since this race came back in the calendar because I've always had to fly home Sunday night. And my favorite airline, Southwest, has cut all of its flights in the evening. And so there's no way I could catch a 4 o'clock flight. So I am staying over. Uh, and flying out in the morning, and so uh, saw Dario today during the track walk, and um, yeah, uh, get uh, whatever the little pass is, and um, got the uh, latest invite to the party, and again, I hope I can actually go for the first time, so looking forward to all that, but going to be a lot of fun in between, uh, I could not tell you. <laughs> After opening about what might happen with the Golden Bowling Ball Award into turn one, can't tell you where the championship's going to be at uh, when we speak next week, but I absolutely do not expect it to look like what it is right now. So that's the beauty of IndyCar. All right, I am Marshall Pruitt. This is the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>